Welcome to the Astro Podcast. Today we're talking again with uh, Deborah Rutkin. Thank you once more to join us. And we're going to talk about uh, a topic uh, which Daryl worked a lot in his research, which is Pico, is Pico de la Miranda and his impact on, on astrology. Um, Daryl is currently a researcher at the University of Kaspersky in Venice and uh, is part of an ERC project. And now I'm going to ask you to remind me of the, of the name of the project. Early modern cosmology. Early modern mm -hmm. cosmology. Yes, um, thank you. <laughs> well, now welcome again to to the podcast. So uh, we decided to talk. We, we arranged this to talk a little bit about uh, that uh, ever-present figure in uh, in astrology, in the history of astrology, at least of the early modern period, which is Pico de la de la Mirandola. Giovanni Pico della Mirandola, his nephew and editor, Gianfrancesco, mm -hmm. which people often do. So it's important to be clear about that. Yes, you're correct. We, we must use his complete name. Uh, at least to begin the conversation. Then we'll refer to as Pico all the way through. But it's important to be clear about that. Yes, yes. Not that you don't know about it. I'm sure you do, but maybe some of our yeah. out of course, of course. So, um, Pico, and let me start by asking you this. Um, so far into, so Pico is, publishes his famous book, uh, The Disputations Against Astrology, in uh, late 15th century, so 14... Already you're beginning in a complicated way. Pico was dead. Pico died on the 17th of November, 1494, and his nephew and editor, John Francesco, took the manuscript, the disorganized manuscript, and put it through the press where it was published in Bologna mm -hmm. posthumously in 1496. So already you're beginning with a complicated problematic situation that never ends. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this manuscript no longer exists, so our modern editions come from that 1496 Editio Princeps. Um, but there's a lot of drama around the publication. Uh, a guy named Steve Farmer wrote a long book on Pico's conclusiones in the introduction to which he gives a sort of convoluted story about the publication of Pico's disputations by a Savonarola hitman. It's very dramatic. It would make a great movie. Uh, and there may be some truth to it, but it's a little overheated for my taste. Um, but still, there's a lot we don't know about the publication of it. What we do know is that John Francesco, who was a very good scholar, 
who was a bona fide student of Savonarola, acolyte, disciple, worked with his a co-editor named Giovanni Menardi, who was a student of Niccolo Leoniceno, who was a medical humanist who was engaged in a similar project that Giovanni Pico was of stripping ancient Greek scholars, Ptolemy in Pico's case, Galen and Hippocrates in Leoniceno's case, stripping the medieval Latin and medieval Arabic accretions from the pure, pristine Greek text. Um, so this starts to put together the framework of what we're dealing with. Uh, but Pico's text is problematic because it's not a coherent discourse that begins with the beginning and ends with an ending. The way I like to think about it is as a collection of, what's the, the term, um, kind of, well, fragments that are put together by John Francesco in a reasonably coherent way, but you really have to take each fragment on its own terms and build up a picture. It's, mm -hmm. And I'm no expert on this, not by a long shot. I wrote a PhD discussing part of it, and now in my volume two, I'll be dealing with that part in a broader framework. Um, but fortunately, I don't know if you know about this, but Stefan Hyland's recent PhD student, Benjamin Topp, or Benjamin Topp, has published or is in the process of publishing his PhD on the first four books yes. of Pico's Disputations with a revised text, although not based on the original manuscript, because that still doesn't exist, mm -hmm. but a much more philo philologically sound edition of the Proemium through the first four books with a German translation. So this is a significant yes. um, progress in yeah. our knowledge. Yes. And it's just coming out. It isn't out yet. The PhD is done, accepted, won a prize, and he's turning it now into a book, which should be out reasonably. I was aware of the PhD, but I didn't know it was coming into publishing. That's, that's wonderful news. Wonderful news. Every bit counts. And of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course, Stefan is a great philologist, so his student will be trained in that tradition. I've used it a little bit. I'll be using it more as I finish volume two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at some time, you at some point, you were you were working in a translation yourself, weren't you? You were involved in the project. And it's a painful topic because it's one of those long-term things that, you know, I'll be working more on it now and hopefully we'll finish it within the next couple of years. But don't hold your breath. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's more likely now than it has been. Not that I haven't worked on it over time, but it's one of those... And this may well be the time now that uh, Benjamin Topp's edition is out with the translation, and I may end up working with him on it, but I, I haven't told him yet, him that yet. 
anyway, but it, it, it's getting closer. It's not receding. It's getting closer. Yeah, it's, so this is—it's moving forward. That's what's going Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to tell fantasies about it. Either. Yeah, of course. Um, and these projects take time. Really, it's—it's it's important editions of, of these kinds of works to do to be done properly. They take time and to be. Uh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, my um, my interest in Pico is that. Uh, well, I think everyone's interested in Pico in a, in the sense who study history of astrology is that he has a profound impact on the practice of astrology from well from the 16th century. He's publishing in the very last uh, years of the, of the 15th century, so it, his impact is really 16th century and 17th century and onwards. But specifically, I think he is the one that everyone has, everyone practicing astrology has to contend or dialogue with Pico's work from there on. Um, and uh, at that point, although we do have some, some argumentations, let's, let's call them scientific argumentations, considering astrology, we have the theological, the theological uh, discussions, which come from, from, from late antiquity, uh, they were always present. Then we have um, what we can call perhaps a more scientific approach to the anti-astrological dialogue, which is trying to contend with astrology uh, as a science, as a knowledge, as a practical knowledge, as a scientific valid uh, knowledge, at least for the science of the period that we're talking about. In both the mathematical sense and trying to un understand astrology's natural philosophical foundations, i.e. how celestial influences work. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, from, my, from my understanding is that Pico is exactly going towards, uh, he's making his attack on astrology mainly from that point of view. Not necessarily mainly, mm. but that is one. I mean, the thing about the disputations is that he attacks astrology Everything. from many different perspectives mm -hmm. as viciously as possible, sometimes very judiciously and sometimes kind of rhetorically, you know, hurling firebombs at it. The part that I have focused on and the part that I find most interesting is precisely what you were referring to, his attack on astrology's natural philosophical foundations mm -hmm. in book three in particular. And I'm looking forward to developing the part in book four where he discusses astrology and faith. And I'm hoping to do that in volume two as well. But the attack on astrology's natural philosophical foundations, I think it's central to his attack, but it's certainly not the main focus. It's one of the many main focuses, but I think it's a very important focus. Yes, yes. I had this perception because when I'm reading um, the authors that I'm studying currently, and their attacks on astrology. Of course, I'm talking about people who are theologians themselves, so they adhere to Pico's arguments when they want to attack astrology as astrology, while they, they go directly to the sources when, when, when we, they, they go to theological discussion, so they don't need Pico for the theological discussion. They use it basically to attack astrology in its own terms, in natural philosophical sense. So I, I had this perception um, that that was one of the main things, but no. So, so he does it from however he can 
uh, yeah. Legally, historically, yes. Also philologically, I, I know, I know, I recall reading that he he goes to the sources. He's uh, he also questions a lot of the of the books, uh, authorships, uh, and he revises a lot of that. Uh, and he's one of the first to do that at some point. Oh, absolutely! I have a piece that just came out in uh, the yes. <laughs> Ptolemaeus Herodotus at Latinus Project's mm -hmm. first publication from a conference at the Warburg Institute called Optimus Malorum, mm -hmm. where Pico attacks Ptolemy as the best of the worst. Of the worst. I yeah. best <laughs> astrologer of the worst class of people mm -hmm. who exist yeah. from Pico less than humble perspective. And it, it treats some of the philological dimension of Pico's attack, especially on great conjunctions and on astrology's relation to religion, which is one of Pico's main interests, yeah. because he really hates the idea that people think that religion is under the auspices yeah. of astrology, which it is, according to Thomas Aquinas, with yeah. his view of divine providence and faith, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But Pico hates that, and yeah. he's trying to obliterate that view. Yeah. And the material I look at is, is very interesting. As much as I dislike Pico, because he's a fundamentalist and a fanatic, he can be interesting sometimes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course, yes, of course. Uh, yeah. Um, just for, for people who are viewing, um, this edition is available as a PDF in uh, the Brew website for free. And I'll put a link to it uh, in the description when this is edited uh, so that people can download and can read yours and the other uh, chapters. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll do it soon. <laughs> On the stack by your bed. Exactly. <laughs> Things to do, <laughs> things to do and to read. Yeah, okay. Um, so back back to to our our uh, character of the day, Pico. <laughs> um, he does give. Um, I know that, and I think I'm saying this for as a general question for people who who are um, watching us. Um, there is this strangeness uh, as you were saying earlier in his attack because the, the general idea that has been conveyed so far is that uh, the disputations are sort of an odd thing not only by as you said it's public posthumously we don't have the the, the, the the manuscript the original manuscript so we really don't know what's because what's not because how it will rearrange it there's a lot of questions going on there but the disputation is so the disputations are always um, described, or they are described in historiography as something strange because he has a lot some books, not as large, and suddenly there appears to be a shift on his um, focus, and this massive work is produced. Um, mm -hmm. How can you tell yes. us a little bit more about that? I have a few ideas about this, and this will be one of the themes of volume two is people have argued 
Okay, begin with Frances Yates, right? Because she was the one who got me into this. And it's her argument about the genealogy of magic mm -hmm. that I'm addressing explicitly in volume two, where she argues famously that Pico added Kabbalah to Marsilio Ficino's foundation of natural magic, natural astrological magic in the De Vita. So Pico took that, added Kabbalah to that, and that was his understanding of natural magic. And then the question arises, well, what happened five years later, six years later, literally six or seven years later, when Pico then turned around and attacked astrology, which he had formerly embraced in the disputation. So that's a very persuasive argument that is wrong in so many ways, mm -hmm. as I argued in my PhD thesis in 2002, and as I will argue more fully in volume two. Part of the problem is not the rhetorical structure of Francis Yates's argument, which is beautiful and persuasive, but it's wrong both on chronological terms in that Pico presented his material on magic before Ficino presented his De Vita in that Pico's early works that his views on magic are drawn from the uh, Oratio and the Conclusiones and the Comento were all written in 1486 and 1487, whereas Ficino's De Vita was written in 1489. But the other problem is, perhaps even more fundamental, is that when you actually look at Pico's early views on magic, well, when you, what are Pico's early views on magic? That's a question, right? And what is the corollary question? What is Pico's understanding of astrology in relation to those early views on magic. Now, I'm a simple person, so I think it's more important to ask those basic analytic questions before assuming mm -hmm. that you know the answer to those yeah. questions, yeah. which Yates thought that she did. And of course, she was very knowledgeable. Um, but when I look at Pico's early views on magic in relation to his early views on astrology, what I found is that, of course, he was incandescent with his passion about magic, natural magic, which he articulated in very little detail in a few of those early works. And in relation to that, it's easy to think based on some phrasing that there's an astrological dimension to that. But in fact, in, at least in my interpretation, and this is absolutely open to interpretation, he found natural magic to be very interesting, and he thought that there was a Kabbalistic foundation to that magic, but there's in fact very little astrology. The, the texts that people look at most strongly are some of the Kabbalistic conclusions, especially the very last one, which is the very last conclusion of all of his 
conclusiones, number 900, that talks about vera astrologia. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it seems like there must be something astrological there. But when you look at his actual discussions of astrology in relation to magic, there's almost no astrology, normal astrology whatsoever. And it does not provide the foundation for his astrology. In fact, for his magic. In fact, my my take is that Pico is trying to subvert the normal foundation of magic in astrology in those early works and substituting the planetary celestial um, influences with the Kabbalistic Sephirot. And I think that there's evidence to make that argument. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the only one who has, but it hasn't been made strongly. And I will certainly make it strongly in my volume two. And part of the way I do that is by contrasting it with how Marsilio Ficino uses astrology throughout his De Vita in many different areas, very strongly and very clearly. Whereas in Pico, the astrology, if there is any at all, is very insubstantial mm-hmm. and is only used to strengthen arguments he's made from other perspectives. Anyway, this is a difficult thing yeah. to say very quickly, but that gives a little taste of it. Mm-hmm. But it, it needs to be established, and that's what I'm attempting to do mm-hmm. in my volume. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So then the attack on astrology at the end of his career is not such a radical leap. He rejects magic at that point. That's the radical shift. And he rejects Kabbalah. That's a radical shift. But he, in my view, was always... What's the word? Kind of neutral about astrology. It was there. He eh, he didn't like it that much, but he wasn't attacking it. He would use it to strengthen other views. Whereas at the end of his life, he attacked it with every fiber of his being. I think because he wanted to remove the astrologers from the kind of prophetic airwaves, Mm -hmm. you know, There were these publications of annual prognostications. Astrologers were very well respected. They taught at the finest universities. Part of their job description was making annual prognostications that people took seriously. And he, along with Savonarola, wanted to remove these enemies of the people, enemies of the church, from the prophetic uh, airwaves so that the voice of a true prophet, somebody like Savonarola, could be heard without all this noisy uh, (laughs) That's my take in a nutshell. I I understand how 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 you're getting there, yes, yeah. Yeah, it it would explain how, why, why then we, we see such a, such an impact on his, uh, such a force on his, his potentiaries, yes. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, the fact and is, sorry? No, and remember the Disputations is one of seven treatises that he wrote defending the church. 
It's mm-hmm. the only one we have. There is an explicit theological dimension. He's trying to save society from mm-hmm. the deleterious effects of astrology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, the title in Garand's edition is Disputations Against Divinatory Astrology. And I think that that's significant, but Benjamin Topp also has argued that that's actually not the true title. Mm-hmm. So I need to take those arguments into account. But if he's if he's right, then that's significant too. But still, within the text itself, there seems to be an attack on divinatory astrology and not on normal, legitimate modes of predicting the future that Thomas Aquinas would have in Anyway, it's complicated, and I fully understand it, but I'm trying to understand parts of it and make a coherent interpretation, which can then be criticized. Yeah, and and, and the dialogue is established so we can go forward with with our knowledge. Yeah, Uh, yeah, Um, yeah, true. The the thing is, it it does become, I think, the main sources for everyone that criticizes astrology from their own. He's constantly, constantly being referred to. And I think we have very, I have, I'm, I'm not completely aware, I might, might say something wrong by stating this, but I don't think there is um, much innovation on the attacks on astrology after Pico until <laughs> the late 17th century where you start to enter with a new parad- paradigm of thinking in terms of science, and then perhaps things shift a little bit more in terms of, of dialogue and how, how astrology is disconstructed in, in a critical sense. But um, and after him, until mid-17th century, I'm not sure if there's anything... In question, because of course our understanding of the cosmos changes so significantly from 1496 when he wrote until the mid 17th century when you start getting alternative paradigms of natural knowledge from Descartes and from Newton. But before that, there are tremendous changes in our understanding of nature and the cosmos with Tycho Brahe and Johannes Kepler with Copernicus before that and those dialogues are related to celestial influences. I mean, Robert Westman is certainly right about that. You know, that these larger questions of planetary, you know, cosmological transformations in relation to astrology need to be addressed. Um, And that's a hard thing to do, especially if you're trying to tell that whole story. Exactly. Uh, I've been trying to to see and and see, if, and I've I've detected a couple of things on how these new discoveries, for example, which completely blow out the, the ancient cosmological models, which start crumbling from there on. Um, how do they affect astrology? And surprisingly, not that much. At least initially, you don't see that affecting much astrology i think later on by the by the mid 17th century few things mm-hmm. to pop up and for mm-hmm. example i i wrote a paper um on um 
the use of, tele of the telescope in an astrological judgment, uh, which uh, well, I think we talked about this uh, sometime, um, which is the first, the only document that I know of in which an astrologer is making a judgment of an eclipse and suddenly is inserting uh, observations that he made of the planets in the telescope yeah. to the judgment. Very interesting. And this is, I think, unique so far. Probably there are more documents like this that haven't been uh, properly identified, but it's the first time I saw a telescopic observation being added to a to a, an astrological judgment. And this is, um, let me see if I don't give you wrong, this is 1652. All oh, right. If I recall correctly. So oh. mid, exactly mid-17th century. And it's interesting that this is being done because if this person does it, probably others would do similar things. But we don't have that those documents yet, at least no one sure. has found them. Um, so there's things started to shift somehow. Although the interesting thing that Elena and I have figuring out is the practice of astrology doesn't seem to change. I think astrology begins to absorb naturally absorb this kind of new findings you know the idea that the comets are not um a, a sublunary uh, phenomenon but something which is high high up there with the planets and even that is absorbed into and it's transformed and absorbed into the old ways of interpreting things and that's that's a very interesting phenomenon and i think one that needs exploring much more than it has been so far Oh, absolutely, with Placido Titi being an important figure in the transformation yeah. as well, in relation to all the other changes. Yes, and you see this this shift going about into the in, the, in how astrology is defined. Really, things slowly, slowly changing as we progress in the 17th century, um, and I think that would be a study to worth a very worthwhile study. So understand not only cosmology but also uh, astrology, how, how the astrology rationale, what's behind it, begins to change. Um, but even so, I, I haven't seen. It's not that idea, and I, I've written that. It's not usually there's this common idea, common knowledge idea that heliocentrism is, is discovered and then it shatters completely astrology and, and nobody anymore. I mean, not anybody who's been even yeah. remote to date on the exactly. exactly. But it's something that you see in popular culture, or at least in popular sure. scientific, uh, popular history of, of science, if if I can call it that. Uh, there's still much of that idea, which is, has been completely disproved <laughs> um, for years by, by, by the academic. Uh, but there's still that idea, and it's we don't see that an impact, that that big of an impact, I think, in astrological discourse. Uh, but Pico, yes, Pico, we see it there much more. <laughs> Constantly having to every introduction to astrology, I think, um, from the 16th century onwards, has to refute in one way or another what he said and and, and his work. Um, I, the only works I've seen that don't do that are very late, late works already beginning of the 18th century where enough time has passed so Pico's work is no longer something that's very clear in the mind of any uh, practitioner or scholar. So it's faded. It's already faded a bit 
there are other things to contend at that time, uh, much more important. Uh, but it's still it's still a high impact. And as I was saying, I think every criticism of astrology that I have seen, and I have not seen it the more, of course, and not not in in depth. Um, I think they just pick up on what he says and add a little bit more. But basically, the bases are the same. Um, I don't think there is a great innovation on, on that regard. I might be wrong because there are exactly as we find out more, we'll have better answers. I think these are questions well worth asking, and the fewer assumptions we make. I mean, of course, you always have your you know, the questions you're trying to answer and the assumption about where it's leading, but more of the focus on the question and less of a yeah, focus on the answer. <laughs> oh, what the answers are. Because for the most part, we don't, but we're learning more and more. And it's yeah. definitely a progressive process. And there are some really wonderful historians of astrology doing work, trying to understand this all over the world and all throughout Human history is just one of those. It's one of those topics that has been with us almost since the beginning, or even since the beginning, and it's, it's still here today in its yeah. new shape uh, and format. <laughs> no, and at this particular moment, you know, between the two conjunctions, the big ones in January of 2020, with First Saturn conjoining Pluto and then Jupiter conjoining Pluto, kind of leading up to what's going on in December of this year with the greater conjunction of Jupiter and Aquarius, shifting triplicity. And it's been a topic that is coming up a lot in in academia uh, lately with, um, because of course, with this pandemic, everyone picked up on the topic of the history of epidemics, uh, which we have a lot of material. And it's interesting to see, um, and we're having this conjunction, of course, and the conjunctions coming up uh, and the cycles and the conjunctions coming up to as an explanation for epidemics and and for for, uh, this kind of events, this worldwide events. And it's quite interesting to see uh, in the last months, a whole scholar discussion on on the role of astrology in these epidemics in the past, in the pre-modern world, coming in to again to view, uh, even as sometimes for people who are not historians of astrology, uh, but they will go and see treatises on on epidemics and the, the, the astrological component applied to medicine is always there, which is quite interesting, and also topic to, to, to really study. Uh, yeah. Well, Daryl, I think uh, it's a nice time to, to wrap up. Thank you very much for this uh, this discussion on Giovanni Pico della Mirandola, a very important figure for those studying astrology, particularly at the early modern period. I think it's something that cannot be avoided, (laughs) a cliff that cannot be avoided (laughs) uh, in this study. Uh, Thank you very much for sharing this uh, with us. And uh, I'll direct people for your, to your latest, your latest article and to your other articles on the topic so that they they can read a a little bit more about your views. 
Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful.